Thank you, Yolandi and the worship team for creating an atmosphere that is a beautiful entree into this message that we're going to have this morning. So Josh has asked a few of us to bring something to the Reveal series that we feel is part of the picture that's unfolding around Cornerstone. So with that in mind, I'm hoping to achieve two things this morning. The first is to fulfil the brief from Josh, and the second is to deal with an old itch. So if this morning ends up like more of a therapy session for joy than a sermon, at least you've been forewarned. The scriptures that I'm using come from Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 8. And in your Bible, that may be headed up the marriage of the Lamb. And I heard a sound like the roar of a great multitude, like the rushing of many waters, and like a mighty rumbling of thunder crying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. She was given clothing of fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen she wears is the righteous act of the saints. These are glorious words. We, the church, the bride, the body of Christ, will one day walk down a heavenly aisle for a ceremony, for a consummation that somehow will make sense of the lives that we have lived, the tragedies of all times and the triumphs of generations that have bowed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And to that we can say fervently, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And whatever our choices of beliefs are around the second coming of Christ, let us never drift to some sort of complacency or boredom over the fact that there is a holy imagination in these words and may they forever take our breath away. They truly are spectacular. So the phrase and my decades long itch is the bride has made herself ready. I actually Googled Google image is where I go. It used to be clip art, and now it's Google Image. And um, I must say that most of the pictures I saw were quite saccharine. Um, there was this one, and, and that was kind of typical. They were mostly size eight um, and and um, white, and lots of fluffy stuff. Um, I did find a few that I thought represented how I see the body of Christ, more like disappointed. <laughs> Our, our state of readiness has let us down. Um, but then I found this one, and I think it is just right. I love the idea that when that moment comes, we're not walking sedately towards the beloved. And he's not walking sedately like, you know, ceremonially towards us. We've waited millennia for this moment. And I love the idea of us rushing into each other's arms. And I'm also just ever so slightly pleased that she has a really big posterior. Although, <laughs> I'm just thinking, maybe I shouldn't have said that. As something of a sidebar, this phrase, the bride has, you will leave it up there and you won't listen to a word I'm saying now, will you? The bride has made herself ready, this phrase, the horror of not being ready 
was drummed into us, my generation, at Sunday school and then youth groups and from pulpits using the fearsome parable of the ten virgins and how from Matthew 25 and how five of them were not ready and they somehow didn't make it. They left their run too late. And that fear, I, I just want to put it to you, it's not the highest motivation. I think the love of God and his kindness is what draws us to repentance. However... Putting the fear factor aside, what I took away from that parable was this, that we are the bride of Christ and there is a readiness factor to his return that is our responsibility. Prophecies of that era often finished with somebody saying, for, the, for Jesus is coming soon. And we'd give a little clap and not, nothing, not much changed and life went on. But it wasn't long before I realised that Jesus has always been coming soon. And Josh theologised that for us in his sermon on the four horsemen. And it was the clearest understanding of coming soon that I've ever heard. And by the way, I'm building to my itch. Until Jesus gets here... He is sitting at the right hand of the Father where he takes good care of the accusations of the evil ones spoken against us. You can read that in Revelation 12 verse 10. So the Father turns to the Son and says, is this so? And the Son turns to the Father and says, take a look. And the Father takes a look and he sees us covered over with the robe of righteousness. We are declared shame-free and guilt-free. We have been cleansed. And understanding that is how any of us can breathe victory and not defeat. So if he's coming soon and we're clothed in his righteousness, big question, what's the holdup? That's my bother. May I posit to you this morning that the holdup, while obviously related to individual readiness, is certainly deeply connected to the readiness of this whole body, the bride. Our faith is a group sport. Like it or not, we are bound to each other because we belong to this collective known as his church or the bride of Christ or the body of Christ. And somehow we here in Cornerstone have to be getting ready while a little village church cowers in Uzbekistan. Somehow we have to be getting ready while great and mighty edifices filled with people in other nations are also getting ready. It's a group sport. So with that in mind, I have two scriptures that may be helpful in our understanding of this whole thing about the bride making herself ready. Ephesians 5 contains this statement and it's really quite vexing that he did this to present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. That's what's going on. Straight off, some of the holdup might be there because it's nearly cartoon to imagine the church as we see it, spotless, wrinkle-free and blemish-free. And then there is 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord really isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. In other words, God isn't just taking his time for the fun of it. No, he's being patient for your sake. And his, this is the most consoling sentence for me so often. It says, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. This astonishing entry of the bride, his church, into the holiest of all places for that great consummation, it will happen. But some of the holdup is apparently 
In God's opinion, there are still too many empty seats in that cosmic tent of meeting. I love the idea of the return of Christ, even though I'm not greatly taken up with the timing of it. But my itch concerns the holdup, the lack of readiness of the bride. So what does getting ready or preparing look like? And answering that is where we're going to camp for the rest of this sermon. I'm taking us now to Isaiah the prophet, chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. A voice of one calling, In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, for all mankind will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now make no mistake about this. All glory at all times, in all ways, must always go to him. It must always go to the Lord. Remember what the revelator saw in chapter 19, that we the bride rejoiced and we gave him the glory. All glory will always go to God. Yet, and here's the itch, if you were walking past a wedding reception and you peered through the door, you may not quickly pick who the groom was, but you'll always pick who the bride was. So can we safely deduce that the glory of the Lord somehow mystically, cosmically, frustratingly is linked to the splendor of the bride? People see us before they see him. The world observes the church before they observe the one who is the cornerstone of that church. So how do we make ourselves ready? How do we prepare the way of the Lord? How does the red carpet get rolled out for the smooth entry of our Lord? And from Isaiah's prophecy, we can see that some mountains have to be flattened, some valleys have to be raised, some crooked places have to be straightened out, and some rough places need to be addressed. The prophetic picture gives us something to work on, what I'd call a concrete plan of attack. Every valley raised up, every mountain and hill made low. This word rough, the rough places, the word rough um, translate, trans, is translated fraudulent, deceitful and polluted. And then rough places are plain. That's from the root word meaning to bind or tie. Things that bind us up, things that prevent our forward move. And the application of this wonderful and beautifully conceptual picture has helped me enormously over the years. Um, it does have to be worked out at an individual level. And I have asked Holy Spirit to be in that space for all of us as I speak this morning. However, we are mostly going to look at these points of readiness in the light of his church, his bride. So let's start with mountains. I think the scripture starts with valleys, but, you know, the cartoon starts with mountains. So that's where we'll go. So what creates a mountainous growth on the human landscape that's so inappropriate that it has to be flattened. So if we went around the room, we'd probably come up with lots of really juicy answers. But this morning, I've got the microphone, so I'm going to tell you my two. My top two, as of 2022, what mountain is so inappropriate that it has to be flattened in order for us to prepare the way of the Lord? Here's one, being in charge of who we can love and accept. Think about it. 
being in charge of who we can love and accept. How many church systems are so exclusive? There's such an in and out factor to who is appropriately going to sit in the seats. Once we stop being in charge of that, I think we begin to prepare the way of the Lord and some of those empty seats in the cosmic tent of meeting start to fill up. And here's my second one that has five subheadings. Um, it's poor understandings of how the church should function. So, I mean, it is pointed and I'm, like I say, I've got the microphone and I'm way, <laughs> I'm way too old to care. So, here's the first one. Poor understanding of how the church is to function. Pentecostal and evangelical sectors over the last 30 years or so have drifted from the sheepfold to the corporate. In fact, I heard one pastor say, I am not a pastor, I'm a CEO. And I just think that is a flagrant hit in the face of the way God intended the church to be. Further on in this Isaiah 40 chapter is the most wonderful verse. He feeds his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in his bosom and he gently feeds those with young. And are we thinking of one of the final things that Jesus ever said to Peter? When Peter said, well, how do we do this? And Jesus said, well, you just feed and take care of lambs and sheep. Now, I'm not trying to diminish good order. I'm not trying to diminish fiscal responsibility at all. I'm simply saying I think one of the impediments is that with our understanding of the way the church should function probably needs to come under review. I think there's some flattening out needed. And here's the next one. Golly, I've just got back from America. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, for years, people have been trying to deal with their flagrant patriarchy. And now it's finally exposing years of covering up the abuse of women. And by the way, just so it doesn't sound like a man thing, if by some weirdness it had been a patriarchal system, there'd be the same problem. It was never meant to be a dominant gender. We're meant to do the work of God together. What about the Catholic Church? All the evil flowing on from the mostly failed adherence to celibacy, again, flagrant abuse of women and children. What about the celebrity pastor culture? That should be a worry, and we've seen what's going on with Hillsong. That's no new thing. Peter had to deal with that. The issue is not what people do to the pastor. The issue is how the pastor handles it and even if they somehow seem to require it. And the last of my five is politics driving the church instead of the apostolic and the prophetic. When choices about doctrine and methodology exalt themselves against the nature and character of God, mountains form that simply have to be lowered if we prepare the way of the Lord. And God knows we have suffered for our arrogances and our ignorances. We are still suffering for our ignorances. And generation by generation, those arrogances and ignorances must come to the cross of repentance. And I was thinking as I was preparing this of Chris and all of our amazing young people in this church, so precious. Oh God, may our generation model to them what it is to live quietly and humbly before the Lord, bringing our arrogances bringing our ignorances before the Lord because all of them issue from probably the one real easy description of the mountain that needs to be lowered, pride of life. Then the next one is that valleys need to be raised and there'd be so many ways to look at this. I've just chosen this, that valleys form when the church cowers as if we have nothing to offer, as if we are impotent. 
The church has turned up since New Testament times with housing and feeding and education and health and kindnesses. And even with the misjudgments within the church of the worth and value of people because of the colour of their skin, the church has turned up and we keep turning up. This is no pretend landfill. This is us continuing to fulfil the brief of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, again, the firm words of Jesus to Peter. Here's how you fill up the valley. Here's how you handle the judgment and criticism that the church is filled with hypocrites and doesn't do anything. Excuse me. Excuse me. You tackle the church, I'll break your face. Because we've been pouring our hearts into the world that is broken for millennia. And I do have a little story just to lighten the mood because, you know, I've been pretty blunt. Um, but um, I don't know if any of you uh, have heard of Mark and Holder Buntain. So Mark Buntain started what was in its time the largest mission in the world, um, which was in Calcutta. In fact, Mother Teresa died in one of the mission's hospitals. Mark Buntain died prematurely and his wife, Holder Buntain, took over that mission. An extraordinary woman and I've had the privilege of getting to know her. She, um, uh, in her time, not in her husband's time, but in her time, they felt to do something in coastal Orissa. Now, Orissa is where there's been a lot of um, the murder of God's people. But in coastal Orissa, particularly on the coast, she said there, the poverty was beyond anything you could understand. The poverty, the poor. She said these were the poor amongst the poor. So they weren't allowed to build a church because of the uh, attitude of the Indian government. She said, so what? But they would love us to build schools. So we'd always build a school and just make sure one of the classrooms was particularly big. Isn't that glorious? And so they did this in this coastal Orissa. And they began to bring the children off this, this poor fishing area into the school. And the children began to go home with the information they were being given. And she said, bit by bit, we saw the women coming to the school. And bit by bit, their saris were getting cleaner and cleaner. And then she said this, do you know what had happened? We gave them hope. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that the church turns up? We must simply keep turning up because the valley has to be filled. And don't let anyone tell you that it's nothing but a valley. For all time, the church keeps turning up. And the next thing is the crooked places being made straight. Um, and the words I remind you fraudulent, crooked, deceitful, polluted. And I've just decided we'll just call that sin. Now, I know we don't do a whole lot of conversation about sin in church because, you know, we have to be like sensitive and we can't be judgmental. Um, so, you know, let's not discuss sin. <laughs> let's just talk about grace. Um, so, whatever. Um, I think we twist ourselves into too many words in an effort to be sensitive. Um, and certainly every culture has to sort out the difference between cultural practices and biblically declared sin. I, a thought came to me when I was writing this. I can't remember who it was, which is a good thing, and I can't remember where it was, but I have the memory of some fervent young evangelist charging up and down the platform and um, stopping with a kind of a Buzz Lightyear moment and saying, sin, I know how to deal with it, stop it. And, you know, there's the little clap from the paid staff on the front row. Um, unfiltered joy, very unfiltered. 
I think that's unhelpful because if we could stop it, we would. The better stance for us to take is the one taken by Paul, which is I am a sinner. The things I do I shouldn't do, the things I should do I don't do, I'm wretched, but I give him all the glory. We live in that space of sinning and being covered over with his righteousness day by day, day by day. We don't just say, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness once and then live another 10 decades successfully. This becomes a posture of God, cleanse my heart, cleanse my heart, release me from those things that are dark and that prevent me from having full fellowship with you. And then, fourthly, rough places being made smooth. The original word embodies the idea of being bound or tied up. So what does tie us up in knots? What binds us and prevents us from walking freely and uprightly in life? Not sin, yes, certainly it does, but in the context of this, it seems that there is some separation in Isaiah's vision between sin and the things that are unbeneficial, the things that bind us up. So there's very good sense in reading this as things swept under the carpet. Holy Spirit is patient and kind and long-suffering with us. Our humanity is recognised and our agency is even respected in a way. He doesn't railroad us and he doesn't ignore the fact that we are emotional beings. I have no memory of what the issue was, but we were in Canberra and it was a very difficult time. Ray was unemployed. Um, Daniel was about one and a half. Lizzie was newborn. And I clearly remember Holy Spirit coming to me and saying, I want to deal with this thing. And I wish I could remember what it was. I don't remember what it was, but I sure remember the process. And I was so worn out, so worn out emotionally and mentally and physically, I remember distinctly saying, I can't do it. Will you come back later? And I remember him coming back later. That's what he does in his desire for us to deal with things that we sleep under the, sweep under the carpet. The Holy Spirit brought me back to the matter and I yielded. Certainly as individuals, we can see the danger of sweeping things under the carpet. It's a bumpy road ahead if we do. However, what a time to be alive. Are you noticing are you noticing that the carpet's being pulled back all over the place over the last 20 years or so? Matters that have tied up the efficacy of the church in knots are being exposed. So, instead of sin and being bound by things we refuse to deal with, Scripture says, and we go back to Revelation chapter 9, and we go to the final verse, to verse 8, Instead of that being the posture of the church, you know, the, the mountain and the valley and the sin and the stuff that we should be dealing with, but we don't, here we have a picture of the bride being given clothing of fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen she wears is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, there's another beautiful picture in Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 10 to 17, and I've just picked out enough to get you the story the Levites are gone away far from me, yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary. Oh, my goodness, grace there. They shall come near to me to minister unto me. And here it is. And it shall come to pass that when they enter in at the gates of the inner court, they will be clothed with linen garments 
and no wool shall come upon them whilst they minister in the gates of the inner court and within. I'm putting to you that some of the bride getting herself ready is just the discarding of garments that create a mix. We are to be clothed in fine linen, which is our righteous acts. Don't mess it up with mix. The world is desperately needing the bride to be clothed in fine linen and in righteous acts. I'm coming to a conclusion now. This morning I've spoken about the big picture of the church. But the church is made up of gatherings like ours this morning. And this gathering is made up of us as individuals. And we do have to take responsibility for preparing for the way of the Lord. We do have to make ready in our time. I have to make it ready for me. I have to make it ready for my family. I have to make it ready for anyone I know. Dear God, that the mix in me would prevent somebody else from filling a seat in the cosmic tent of meeting. We must be those people. I said to you at the start that even though we're talking about the bride, this collective making herself ready, it comes down to you and me. And Holy Spirit, I'd pray, would be in this space for you. So in, um, uh, I've certainly cleared this with Josh and Graham. Um, it's not something we do a lot at Cornerstone. We don't kind of, you know, fill the altar um, or come to the altar very often. But it feels to me like if I just said, God bless you and sat down, we're kind of, something's left hanging. You don't, we, don't, we don't read this stuff in Revelation without wanting to make a response or we should want to make a response. Every single one of us are constantly being offered by Holy Spirit an opportunity to come higher. Every single one of us are being offered day by day the privilege of divesting ourselves of the mix and of saying, yes, fine linen for me, righteous acts for me. And it is a daily activity. It is a daily activity. When we allow things to drift day by day by day by day, what's the end result? Mountains and valleys and crooked places and rough places. Interestingly, that the voice is in the wilderness. Interestingly, that the world could look at the church and not see anything that's too flourishing, too grand, too lush. It's possible. But our responsibility to shift that needle, that's our responsibility. So here's the invitation. And as Graham and Josh so often say, we're not troubled if nobody does it, but if you do, it's an opportunity. If you are feeling, and maybe we need some mood music that seems to always help us do this. Um, Holy Spirit may have tapped on your shoulder as Holy Spirit tapped on my shoulders 40 years ago. I said, there's this thing. Are you willing? Are you ready? And as I say, repeating, he respects your agency. He respects your journey. He understands that we are emotional people coping with an awful lot. But if you want to put a stake in the ground and say on this day, on the 29th of May, 2022, on this day, I have formally signified that I'm going to start this process. I've formally signified this thing that's dogged me. I've formally signified 
this sense that I have of just going through the motions without actually having it gush from the depths of my being because of my passion to be part of the bride. Maybe complacency, maybe, maybe boredom. Maybe the idea of belonging to the collective that will one day go running into his arms is maybe not even anything that you've greatly embraced as something that actually will happen. Stake in the ground time. So this is very uncomplicated. If you feel to, and nobody will know, none of us are going to be, you know, wondering and going, yeah, I'm not surprised they came to the front. Um, it's personal. It's personal. Stake in the ground. Lower the mountain. Raise the valley. And on that one, that's where I believe Holy Spirit is touching some of you. You have taken yourselves out of the game because of judgment, misjudgments and criticisms. You've taken yourself out of the game and Holy Spirit is coming to you now and saying, I am aware. I am aware of the tears. I am aware of the efforts. I'm aware of every fine motive that you have had and I'm calling you back into the game. Dealing with sin. Being willing to deal with issues that have felt while it's been easier to sweep them under the carpet. I'm already at the front. If you want to join me just for a minute, just for two minutes, just say, stake in the ground time, please move quickly, and then Graham will close in prayer.